0: Scripture says he inhabits the praises of his people. And so, whether you've had victory this week or loss, and you've wondered where is God in the midst of this, he is in this place. He is in the songs that we are singing. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you move? Would you be among us? Would you be among us in this place? Help us to hear your voice and do what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Um, If you are watching from home this morning, hey now, if you're watching from home this morning, we are going to do communion today. Uh, At Regen, it was our practice, you know, a thousand years ago to do communion every week. And we kind of press pause on that, but as we are turning up the dial on normal, we're going to go back to doing communion every week. So if you're watching from home, you can grab a bread, you can have grab a cracker, you can grab water, you can grab juice, but go ahead and grab those things while we kind of get ourselves started this morning. I just want to echo Preston's invite to the Naturally Supernatural workshop, but I just want to kind of double-click on that for a second. Um, for about three years, we've been on a journey of learning to abide with the Holy Spirit, and uh, a lot of us, especially if you were raised in a traditional evangelical setting, if you were raised in a traditional evangelical setting... I think there we go. If you were raised in a traditional evangelical setting, the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. And that's great. We love Scripture. I preach for 30 to 40 minutes a weekend, Um, We embed the Bible in everything we do, but the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So we've been on a steady journey. We are in it for the long haul to develop a a better relationship with the Holy Spirit, and we're doing it uh, in part through a two-year process of uh, biannual workshops called Naturally Supernatural. Because here's the thing, when you meet people that are really good friends with the Holy Spirit, it feels like it's really hard to be friends with them because they're weird, right? Right? And we're trying to find a way for us to be friends with the Holy Spirit and not have to not be friends with everybody else at the same time. We're trying to find a way to uh, pursue partnership with the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit in a way that is rooted in Scripture and expressed biblically. And so we're doing these workshops. And the next one uh, is March 5th and 6th, Friday night and Saturday. The first one was an overall introduction to a naturally supernatural lifestyle. And those teachings are on our YouTube channel. So if you missed them, you can just go back and watch them. What you miss if you don't come to the workshop is kind of an opportunity to practice what we're, what we're talking about. This one will be particularly on hearing God, uh, which sometimes has the scarier name prophecy. Uh, but Moses actually says, I wish that all of you were prophets, right? So this is not something to be afraid of. If Jesus has something to give us, we want to receive it. And so that's the aim of this next Naturally Supernatural workshop. Um, We are doing it in person and from home. So if you want to come and be in person, it'll be led by our friend Paul McConaughey. His face will just be on the screens here, and we'll be in the room together. But some of us watch from home. about 40 people that attend the first one. So uh, you can register for that the same way that you register uh, for Sunday gatherings. There's a small fee, and that's that. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're starting a new series today, Matthew chapter 6. So here's kind of my philosophy of leadership, of spiritual leadership. My philosophy of spiritual leadership is that you have to live it before you lead it. You have to live it before you lead it. My philosophy of spiritual leadership is that you cannot give away what you don't have. You can't give away what you don't have. I believe that when it comes to spiritual leadership, that it's important not to be the kind of leader that Henry Nowen describes in one of his books. Henry Nowen says that there are far too many spiritual leaders who are giving away travel brochures to places they have never been. I, I am a living example. By no means am I a perfect example, and that's especially true today. I am a living example in trying to provide you travel brochures to places I've been as best I can so that I'm not just bringing intellectual capital to the conversation, but I'm bringing spiritual capital to the conversation. And and, uh, the reason I say all of that is because as we begin this six-week series on fasting, I need to begin with a confession, and the confession is, I have not recently nor have I ever fasted, which puts me in a bit of a pickle. Uh, If I have practiced fasting, the one or two times I've kind of bumped into fasting, like, you know, accidentally nudged it. Uh, It did not go well. Uh, When I was, when I was, uh, I grew up in a youth group here in the area, and we did this thing called a 30-hour famine. Have any of you done a 30-hour famine for? Now we know everybody who was raised in youth group. Look at that. There you go. Uh, So a 30-hour famine, it was kind of put together by a Christian relief organization, and the goal was you fast for 30 hours to kind of express or understand uh, how most of global Christians live, which is in hunger and poverty. So you fast for 30 hours, and you learn about what's going on around the world and stuff like that. So this 30-hour family would kind of start on a Friday, and then you would go to the church that night and kind of hang out, and then the next morning you would all eat together. So I go to school that day. I don't eat anything. I get home. I'm like eight hours in, and y'all, I am like dying. I am like, I'm done. And my mother is like, Babe, you gotta eat. Like you're gonna be in trouble. So she like, I eat a peanut butter sandwich, hoping that that will then get me through the next 22 hours of fasting. It did not. And and so the next morning, when we like break our fast together, uh, there was all this food on a table. And while my youth pastor is praying, and everybody's eyes are closed, I'm like creeping toward the front. Something I did so often that my senior year of high school in our youth group, I was always I I was told that I was to eat last. I have never practiced that since graduating from that youth group but I, I understood that practice to be valuable too. Uh, in other words, what I'm saying to you today is I don't have a good history or experience with fasting but who of us does okay we released a spiritual growth survey a couple a couple weeks ago. We said how many of you how often do you fast for non-medical purposes? And, and like two people said I fast like monthly And the rest of the people that responded were like, yeah I never I don't, I don't do that. And the, my, the thing with that is, you know, this summer we preached a series about frontiers. Where are the places that we sense God is leading us? And we sense that God is leading us to be a church that is marked by hunger for God. A hunger for God that's marked by hunger for him and for his presence and for his nearness and for his word and for his leading in our lives. And so as I was preparing that, I really started to feel the Lord get my attention in the area of fasting, and so I thought, I'm going to start fasting this fall, so that when I go to teach on fasting, I'm speaking out of lived experience, not just out of Here's some things that I've studied and read about fasting. Well, then, you know, you get into the fall, and things get a little busy. We're trying to ramp up ministry and get everything going. And then October happened, and we had a couple conferences, and then my parents came in. And then in November, my allergies really flared up, and my asthma really kicked in through most of November and December. And the last thing we needed to add to that hot mess scenario was, like, hunger, right? So we'll get it into January, and then January, we're ramping up, and this, that, and the other. So here I am. February 21st, starting this series on fasting, and I have never fasted. What I know is that God has called us to pursue this frontier of becoming a church that hungers after him. What I know is that I am to I am being called to be a person who is marked by hunger for God, and what I know is that the primary way the people of Jesus have cultivated their hunger for God is through fasting. So instead of coming this morning as an expert, or a practitioner, I want to come to this series every week for the next six weeks, I want to come as a fellow learner. I'm going to spend this week, I'm going to shake loose from the Bible what Scripture says about fasting. I'm going to troll the depths of church history to find how people fasted and how that's connected, by the way, to pretty much every significant renewal and awakening moment, and that's the other reason. My sense is that God is about to unleash something fresh into the church. Fasting is the way I think that we show the Lord we're ready to participate in that. Fasting is the way that I think that we say to the Lord we're hungry for that. And so what I'm going to come every week is as a learner and inviting you to learn with me and journey with me and hopefully for us to fast together. So if you've got your Bible let's look at Matthew chapter 6, starting in just verses 16, 17, and 18, just three verses this morning. Jesus says, "And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they will try to look miserable and disheveled so people admire them, will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, That is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father, who knows what you do in private. And your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. We taught through the Sermon on the Mount a couple summers ago, summer of 2017, I think, in a sermon series called uh, Stranger Things. Uh, Borrowing from the Upside Down from the hit Netflix show. Um, And Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are Jesus' foundational teaching on what it means to be a disciple. A foundational teaching on what it means to be a part of the kingdom. Which is why, as a footnote, I think it's really interesting that evangelical Christians feel very strongly about putting the Ten Commandments on courthouses. Because the new Ten Commandments for the people of Jesus are the Beatitudes right? Jesus has fulfilled those. That does not mean I can go murder this week, okay? If you commit murder this week, I can't help you with that, right? but the Beatitudes and the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount are the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If, you, if you're a new person in the room, if you're watching online, you're exploring the faith, and you're thinking, what does it actually mean to be a follower of Jesus? Listen, there's a lot of deconstructing going on. Let's jettison kind of evangelical Christianity. Let's jettison conservative Christianity. Let's become progressive Christians. Let me just invite you uh, to ignore progressive Christianity and ignore conservative Christianity and just look at the Sermon on the Mount that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And in the middle of this foundational teaching on what it's like to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, what it's like to follow after Jesus, Jesus says this twice. He says, when you fast. So I don't know, you might not know this. Uh, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in something called Koine Greek. It was, a common, it was the English of its day. It was spoken pretty commonly in the world at that time. And so sometimes it helps to kind of look at the words behind the words to see if there's some meaning there that maybe isn't totally brought out by the English translation. So I was like, what does the word when mean here in Matthew 6? When Jesus says when you fast, do you know what the word when means in Greek? It means when. It doesn't mean if. It doesn't mean maybe. It doesn't mean why don't you consider. It means when you Fast. In other words, in Matthew 6, Jesus is sharing with us an assumption, and his assumption is that his followers, his kingdom people, will be people who fast. Let's just kind of sit in that. His assumption is that his kingdom people will fast. Now, we have little jokes, don't we, about what happens when you assume, right? And Jesus is not in danger of assuming here, and let me tell you why. Jesus is speaking to a giant crowd of faithful Jewish people. Jesus is himself a faithful Jew, which means that he himself, his disciples, the people he was speaking to, fasted at least twice a week. It was not uncommon for Jews in Jesus' day to fast twice a week, either Tuesday or Thursday or Wednesday and Friday. By the time the early church gets a hold of it, it's Wednesday and Friday. Why do they fast? Because the Old Testament is story after story after story of people who fast. All of the giants of the Old Testament, Elijah, Moses, David, Daniel, they all fast. All of them. In Matthew 6... Jesus is taking a practice that's super common to them and writing it into his own story. And what he's saying in Matthew 6 is that it will be a foundational practice for his people to fast. And so the first time we have a record of the early church fasting is in Acts chapter 13, and I think this is really important. The church is fasting and praying and worshiping, and they decide to go out on mission. Right, so we tend to th- we talk a lot at our church about up in and, and out, the three kind of priorities of Jesus: this upward relationship with God, inward with each other, outward with the least, the last, and the lost. Fasting is both an upward dynamic, an inward dynamic, and an outward dynamic because the fasting prepared them to go out on mission. Arthur Wallace, in his book *God's Chosen Fast*, says, "In New Testament times, fasting was a channel of power." In about 325, Christianity becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. And in the eyes of most historians and in the eyes of most Christians at that time, it immediately watered it down. Note that the closer Christianity is to government power, the farther away from true power it becomes. And so because the way of Jesus and the Church of the Living God became watered down by cultural Christianity, a thing called the monastic movement arose. Men and women would band together in holiness. They would build monasteries in these tiny corners of the Roman Empire where they fasted and prayed together. Saint Benedict founded one of the first monastic orders, and uh, Adalbert de Vogue, a Benedictine monk, writes, fasting is no longer a constraint or penance for me, but a joy and need of body and soul. Throughout the history of the church, fasting is consistently present. Saint Athanasius says of the church calendar, sometimes the call is made to fasting and sometimes to a feast. Saint Augustine taught that fasting is necessary to check the delight of the flesh. John Calvin says, Whenever men are to pray to God concerning any great matter, it would be expedient to appoint fasting along with prayer. Andrew Murray writes, Fasting helps us to express, to deepen, and to confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain the kingdom of God. James Hudson Taylor, I have a quote from him on the bottom of my email, if I've ever emailed you. Uh, he was one of the first missionaries to China, says, "'Fasting, which so many dislike, "'which requires faith in God, "'since it makes one feel weak and poorly, "'is really a divinely appointed means of grace. "'Perhaps the greatest hindrance to our work "'is our own imagined strength. "'And in fasting, we learn what poor, weak creatures we are, "'dependent on a meal of meat, "'for the little strength which we are so apt to lean upon.'" John Piper says of the early church and really of every great Christian in history, they were hungry enough for God's leading that they wanted to say it with the hunger of their bodies and not just the hunger of their hearts. And so Scott McKnight in his really wonderful book about fasting that came out a couple years ago says that fasting is how we pray with our bodies. The Old Testament saints fasted, Jesus fasted, the early church fasted, the great saints of every age fasted, and here's me after eight hours dying for a PB and J. Here's me saying to you, We're gonna teach on fasting for six weeks. And you're thinking, some of you are thinking, isn't that a little extreme? this is just something that Jesus offered. Isn't this just an option for the really spiritual? No. Jesus says, when you fast. Dallas Willard says, in fasting, we abstain in some significant way from food and possibly from drink as well. The discipline teaches us a lot about ourselves very quickly. It will certainly prove humiliating to us as it reveals to us, how much our peace depends on the pleasures of eating. We looked, if you were with us last week, I'd encourage you to go back if you didn't. We looked at these various challenges facing the church in this cultural moment tribalism, political polarization, digital revolution, moral relativism, individualism, the digital revolution, I mean, all these things. We said that being the people of Jesus in this cultural moment will require a new commitment to the words of Jesus and the ways of Jesus and the works of Jesus. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to look at the words of Jesus who teaches us to fast. And the ways of Jesus for whom fasting was integral to his way of life and the works of Jesus. Jesus fasted. So let's go back to Matthew 6 for a second, okay? And let's read it again. When you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. In this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is warning against performative righteousness. Doing the right things, doing the holy things, doing the spiritual things, not because it's the right thing to do, not to inherit the kingdom, not to be obedient to the ways of Jesus, but to be seen by others as spiritual and faithful and righteous. Listen, if you think the Bible is irrelevant, you have no idea what you're talking about because 2,000 years before Instagram selfies and TikTok videos, Jesus was warning against doing the right thing in front of others for their praise. Look at me, I'm just reading my Bible with my coffee this morning. Selfie picture of that Just a little TikTok. See Jesus in this passage. He says there's two kinds of people. The first are hypocrites, which, by the way, is like one of the worst things that Jesus can ever say to anyone. They're hypocrites. Hypocrites fast, not for the sake of the kingdom or to grow in holiness, but to be perceived by those around them as especially righteous people. And so they go around haggard, put ash on their foreheads, and they rend their garments, and they, oh, I'm fasting today. Oh, but God is good. And they're moaning, and they're groaning, and they're sighing, and St. Teresa of Avila says, She says this, May God protect me from gloomy saints. There are two kinds of people, Jesus says. There's these people that are fasting for the approval of others. And then there are his people. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face and no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father who knows what you do in private or in secret and your father who sees everything will reward you see there's these people his people that authentically and genuinely fast not to be perceived by those around them as spiritual or righteous they fast to receive the reward of their father in heaven and do you know what the reward is more of god a lot of us think we that fasting has a utilitarian purpose and there's an element in which it does But fasting is not primarily let's fast to get God to do what we want him to do. Fasting is primarily let's fast to get more of God. Jesus is both the object of the game and the prize, right? So we don't fast to get God to do what we want. We don't fast for this, this. We fast to get more of God. We fast to receive the reward of our Father who is in heaven. If you do not receive dozens of likes on Facebook, if you don't have dozens of followers on Instagram, but you have the approval of your Father in heaven, you are truly blessed. Jesus gives us a couple pointers for fasting. He says, when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face. This is good advice for most days, by the way. But Jesus' point is, go about your business normally. Go about your business normally. Don't wear your fasting clothes. Right? Don't wear your fasting shirt that says, I'm fasting. Right? And, and Jesus says, there's a tension here. Because I think a lot of us would say, because one of the things I want to invite over the next six weeks is for people to share testimonies of fasting. And somebody's got, but some of you got to go, but wait, Jesus says, don't tell anybody that you're fasting. It is possible to tell people about fasting in such a way that honors the Lord and instructs others. It is also possible that we could pull somebody up here to talk about fasting. They're like, well, I've been fasting since this series started. I haven't eaten anything in three weeks. Um, And suddenly it's about them It's not so much that you don't tell other people that you're fasting, it's so much that you don't tell other people so that you're not the hero of the story. We're really good at that. We're really good at setting ourselves up as the hero of the story. So how do we fast? I wanna consider briefly just two kinds of fasting, okay? And the first is kind of a, a fast of abstaining, which is kind of the fast that answers the question, What are you giving up for Lent? How many of you are giving up something for Lent? Oh, okay, well, let's see if we can raise more hands at the end of the sermon. All six of you have the reward of your neighbor, you hypocrite. What do you have? See, that was a trap. That's what that was. Oh, I gotcha. I didn't really sleep last night, guys, and I'm feeling the energy go, so anything's about to happen. Ooh, okay, help him, Jesus. So giving up something for Lent is a practice in self-denial, and it is fasting from one thing for an extended period of time. Now, John Wesley, he's a little bit of a snoot sometimes. John Wesley says that this is lowest. Why don't urge that doesn't fall apart and we will really listen to you. I'm just saying. I've got stories about that. Here's the fact. He met a woman while he was convalescing. He married her without talking to anybody about it. Two weeks later, she ran off. Nobody ever heard from her again. Yeah, right? I heard somebody like, well, yep. I think this kind of fasting for Lent is a good place to start. I think it's a good place to start as long as you are giving up something that is really difficult to give up. As long as you are abstaining something that lessens your desire for God or by the removal of it increases your desire for God. Lent, however, is not a spiritual reason to diet. Okay? So if giving up chocolate helps you foster more self-control, helps school you in self-denial and self-discipline, then by all means give it up. But if giving up chocolate or ice cream feels like, oh, it's like a two-for-one deal, I can be spiritual and lose weight, that is not fasting. Because fasting is not about obesity or weight loss. Fasting is about attentiveness to God. And I think this is a great place to start fasting. If you've not decided to give up something for Lent, I would decide to give up something for Lent today. I think this, is, uh, fasting is a, this place of fasting is a great place to start, and, and barring any health issues, though, I would say it's not a good place to stay. I think this kind of fast, a 40-day fast from something that smothers your life with God, uh, it, it's an introduction to fasting, but if we're speaking in the most technical terms, fasting would be giving up more food over a period of time. That said... I can't help but think that we would all probably love our neighbors more if we gave up cable news and social media. I'm just saying. But I think this fasting is a great place to start if you've never fasted before, but I I wanna challenge you to start there but not to end there today. Because fasting primarily means not to eat, right? And so if that's the case, how do we fast in a more intense but practical way. We don't try for a 40-day fast. 40-day fast, very common throughout church history. You kind of need to work your way up to that. I mean, good Lord, I need to work my way up to like a day-long thing, you know what I'm saying? But the Wesley brothers, Charles and John, I like how they did it. They did it uh, like the early church did it. They would begin, for example, a Friday fast at sundown on Thursday, on Thursday, And then they would go until about 3 p.m. on Friday so not really 24 hours here's where I'm planning on starting if it helps Um, I'm planning on starting after dinner because hello Um, and and then going until about 3 p.m. the next day I am going to include liquids because again hello right baby steps right um, I think that's, a, that's an ideal place to start. And, and the question is, like, what do I do while I'm fasting? We'll talk about this over the next couple weeks, but remember, Jesus says go about your business. When you're fasting, you go to work, you do the things you need to do. Try not to bite your spouse's head off. Um, in the times that you would be eating, pray or worship. And when you feel hunger use that as an invitation to turn to prayer and recognize your body's hunger for food is kind of an expression of your soul's hunger for God. Now, I want to end with kind of a warning and an encouragement. So you know when you're watching, like, a commercial for some sort of medicine? And they're like, take... It always sounds like plexiglass, doesn't it? Like, plexilis. Take Plexilis, Plexluva, right, or something like that. And, and here's this person who, now that they're taking this drug, is like skydiving and a gardener and somehow more beautiful for taking this drug. And you're thinking, I should take that. And then this voice chimes in, right? Taking Plexluva may lead to cancer, death, sudden passing out. I right, this long thing. We've been watching this one that we, this commercial keeps coming up that says this is terrifying to me. I'm going to say it. I'm doing it. Uh, <laughs> she's. It's like may lead to an infection of the perineum. I'm not going to explain what that is, but that is scary. Go home and Google it. It'll scare you too. And, and I'm like, why would you take that? So fascinating is some of the elders in the church are saying, nope, rewind. Uh, Okay, so anyway, the point is that I want to offer a couple of warnings for this or maybe like a couple of encouragements or some grace periods here. I want to kind of give a little commercial because in the early Methodist movement, this young convert started fasting and he starved himself to death. His parents actually tried to sue John Wesley and the charges never came to court. But if you have like a medical reason not to fast, like maybe you're on a medication Um, That you have to take multiple times a day, and you have to take it with food Uh, Maybe you have to manage your blood sugar and you do that through eating throughout the day if you have a medical condition That might cause fasting to be dangerous to your body. I would like you to consult with your doctor first This is the legal way of me saying I am not to blame if you get really sick from fasting deal Okay But I'm also saying that because as we're talking about fasting, we're going to talk about it for the next six weeks, is if you have like a medical condition that is limiting your ability to fast, I don't want you to feel shame or guilt for not being spiritual by not fasting for a prior condition. Does that make sense? Can you nod at me to let me know that I'm making sense? Thank you. That's the equivalent of you agreeing legally. I just want you to know, and we're videoing it, and so there's that. And that's why that 40-day Lent fast might be great if you're really giving up something that smothers your hunger for God, right? If you're, giving, if you're giving up something over those 40 days that will reorder your desires. In some cases, fasting could be dangerous to your physical health. It could also be dangerous to your mental health. If you struggle with disordered eating or have been diagnosed with an eating disorder, I want to be especially careful here. Oh, because now Pastor Kyle said to fast, and I'm going to fast, and now I'm in this place of either eating too little or eating too much or doing this thing, and it's putting me back in this frame of mind uh, that is not healthy for me. We remove food from our day and fasting to increase our dependence on God. We are creating space in our day to encounter God during the times we would be eating. And if fasting from food would cause you to return to a harmful state of mind, please do not fast. Again, the 40-day fast could be a great option. Please do not hear me saying that God will love you more if you fast or that he will love you less if you don't. And note that fasting is not primarily about physical wellness. There's a big trend in, like, workout world, intermittent fasting. This fasting of that style and this fasting, totally different purposes, right? Because this is about attentiveness to God. It's about cr- denying ourselves those things that crowd out our hunger for God. And if fasting for any length of time would be damaging to your mental health, then please abstain. It's really interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot this week. Um, and then John Wesley has this quote, Um in his sermon about fasting that's really good, about how kind of Satan kind of wants to mess with our view of fasting, and it seems just like the enemy to take this thing that God has appointed for our good and our blessing and to draw us nearer to him, fasting, and to twist it into something that steals kills and destroys like literally kills people right it feels like to me like anorexia bulimia disordered eating are these demonic twists and copycats of this spiritual practice that god has appointed for our blessing he has taken it and used it to destroy so it's no surprise to me that that exists on that level and if if that's something that is part of your past if that's even something that is like part of your present if that's something that crosses your mind from time to time I've been worried about this. I texted a couple leaders this week and said, actually, I'm really concerned because I don't want this to cause people to stumble into harm while we're trying to kind of connect with God's blessing. Uh, John Wesley says that it has been the endeavor of Satan from the beginning of the world to put asunder what God has joined together, and and that's kind of what happens there in fasting. I think the other thing that we tend to do um, is we try to find ways either to make fasting more convenient or there's some among us that kind of have this glutton for punishment, so we double down on it to harm ourselves. And somewhere in between those two is the real discipline of fasting, which is why I want to teach on it for six weeks. Because I really just want it to become, frankly, I want it to become a natural part of our life together. I just want it to be something that we do. We do. Right, we've been doing quarterly days of prayer here for a minute, and I can say to our church, I'd like you to sign up for a 15-minute time slot to pray. We're going to gather that evening to pray. I want you to pray on Zoom, and we'll do it. So let's just layer fasting on top of that. Like, I want it to make as much sense for me to call a day of fasting as it does for me to call a day of prayer for our church on It's just a natural. Part. Our church Bible studies, our church works, our church fasts. These are just the normal things. But John Wesley says this, Let it be done unto the Lord with our eye singly fixed on him. Not on an eye for the approval of others. Not an eye toward our bodies and losing weight. But an eye toward encountering Jesus. Yeah? Yeah. Awesome. Amen. Steph, why don't you come lead us in response time?
1: Here at Regen, one of the things that we want to do is make sure that we act that we don't just we aren't just hearers of the word but that we're doers as well and so we have this response time where we set aside time to really listen to the father and sense what he's inviting us to and I was we the oversight team prays before the service and as we were praying one of the things that kind of came to my mind was this idea of of the opportunity today to see Jesus to really connect with him and to see him and even this idea of kind of making eye contact so it was really cool to me. Then we sang "Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus," and and Kyle ended the sermon with this idea of of seeing Jesus more fully. And so my question for us in response time today is, what is keeping you from seeing Jesus fully? And so is there something that you need to give up? Is it social media? Is it? I one time read an article that honestly really changed my life about all this. About a woman who gave up running because that's what she used to cope, and that's what she used. To kind of deal with her life when it was hard and she realized that for 40 days she needed to turn to prayer and to stop running so it doesn't even have to be bad things it can be good things that we're putting in the place or that's standing between us and jesus so i want to invite you to think about is there something he's inviting you to give up for these 40 days that's standing between you and him or is he inviting you to commit to trying to fast for maybe eight hours maybe one meal? Because the bottom line is it's not about what we want for you, it's what the Father wants for you. So let's take a minute and just invite the Father to really speak to you about what it is that he's asking you to do in response to this sermon. for you today and we confess that we are easily distracted, that we often feel frail. And so, Father, we pray that in these moments of frailty in these moments of weakness and these moments of distraction, that we would press into hearing your voice and that when we sense that invitation to step forward and to, to give something up, to press into fasting, that we would not ignore that nudge that we wouldn't walk out of the room today and be quickly distracted by the things of life, but that we would commit to doing what it is that you're asking of us. And that, Father, that in it, that we would meet Jesus, that we would see him in ways that we haven't before, that we would experience his presence in more real and powerful ways. So, Father, we just commit this to you. In your name, amen.
0: sometimes the call is to fasting and sometimes the call is to feasting. Which is, I'm hoping that there's even a counterbalance then between if over the next six weeks we're fasting together that we would come back together and feast at the table of Jesus. Jesus is talking to a giant crowd of people. He's just fed them a whole bunch of food. He just fed them all lunch, about 20,000 of them. And uh, he looks at them and says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot be my disciple. Totally freaks some people out. A lot of them walk away. It seems to me that Jesus had this in mind. This meal where we come to be nourished, this meal where we are reminded that it is his presence shared with us at the table that strengthens us, that nourishes us and so uh, if you've never done this with us before you kind of start on the cracker side open that up, pull it out Holy Spirit we pray that you would be poured out on these gifts of bread and cup those in the room and those in homes that are watching that as we eat this bread and drink the cup we would have a nourishing and life-giving encounter with you the night when Jesus was betrayed he took bread and he broke it and he offered it to his disciples and he said this is my body which is broken for you take and eat let's eat together later on in that supper Jesus took a cup he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you and for many take and drink together As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes which by the way we'll see one of the primary reasons that we fast is to hasten the return of Jesus But for now let's worship together Is anyone thirsty come and drink Come, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. May you find hunger for God. And may you be nourished in that. If you need prayer for anything this morning, um, Art and Pam and Randy and Jarvis, Steph, and maybe even I will make my way back there. We'll be in the Outer Room. We'd love to pray with you. We love you, whether you're here or online. We love you. We'll see you next time. Peace.